We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Bellato. They were here to talk to you a little bit about the Giants' final game of the season, a 22-7 loss to the Washington football team. Not much, to be completely honest. They don't deserve much discussion about the game. Other than their failures, the embarrassments that I thought Joe Judge put on display today, specifically the one we'll get to, which was his decision to go into victory formation and run a quarterback sneak on third and nine after a similar give up play on second and nine. We'll talk about that. We might talk a little bit about the Kenny Galladay, the throw from Fromm to Galladay, the only vertical attack in the last month. It feels or one of three that I can remember in outstretch for it. Didn't die for it. Didn't look good to be completely honest from a team supposedly fighting for their coach to keep the coach, right? This is the fight we're expecting to see the lions. Upset victory today. Upset victory a couple weeks ago as well. They're fighting for their coach. The Texans upset victory against the Chargers a couple weeks ago. Pretty good game today against the Titans. Almost pulled that off. In a game the Titans need to win. They're fighting for their coach. The Giants now, with this loss, have now created a new franchise record. But the opposite kind of record you want. This is their sixth straight loss of 10-plus points. Six straight. One against Washington. One against a pathetic Chicago team and two against mediocre at best Dolphins and Eagles teams. I know one of them is making the playoffs. doesn't matter. They're mediocre. This is not what looks like to me good winning culture. This is not what looks like to me a team that's, quote unquote, fighting and having fun playing for their coat. I'll start there, Nick, but let's get your thoughts on this game. And maybe if there's anything I mentioned you want to expand on or things that I missed. Yeah, the Giants are, and again, we've said this, I don't even know how many times the last three weeks. This is the worst offense by far that I've ever seen in the National Football League, and there was absolutely no confidence in the offense, the offensive line, their ability to protect the quarterback, their ability to attack vertically. And the only thing they really want to do is run the football. And you know what? They're really setting up to run the football with success. 
by aligning with seven offensive linemen, aligning offensive linemen at the H-back position to try and gain a run advantage against lighter fronts. Or even if it's not lighter in terms of personnel, how many are there, you have 300-pound offensive linemen playing positions that typically are occupied by 250 pound players, yet you're still not able to run the football because everybody knows that's what you want to do. This is just a tragically bad offense. And we saw that on display. You mentioned how they went for on a second and 11 and then a third and nine or two quarterback sneaks when they were backed up at their own end. And I know that's, you know, just bash the crap out of that, right? That's a terrible look on the coaching staff. It's a terrible look on the offense as a whole. That just goes to speak to the lack of confidence that this coaching staff has in this offense. There's nothing there whatsoever. It's literally been for the last several weeks now, basically since Daniel Jones's injury, let's just get this season over with because we can't do anything offensively. It's almost to the point where they'd rather have their defense out there and try to bait Taylor Heineke into a fumble or an interception to where the Giants could possibly take that back for a touchdown. That's the only way they would actually get points on the scoreboard right there, man, because this has just been just horrendous. It's unwatchable. It's disgusting. It's gross. And it's one of the lowest states of the New York Giants I've ever experienced. Yeah. Joe Judge, when asked about the decision to go into the victory formation and run a QB sneak on third and nine, said, I wanted to create more space for the punt. Now, that's the type of comment no Giants fan wants to hear at this point. I'm pretty certain of that. And Mike Renner of PFF tweeted out, and I'm not going to agree with this, but I'm not going to completely disagree and say it's a completely farce statement. He said, in his opinion, Joe Judge's decision to do what he did on those back-to-back plays, including that sneak on third and nine, was more of an insult to the game of football than what the Eagles did last year to bench Jalen Hurts. I can't fully argue with that because I thought it was a complete insult to the game of football to do that. If, if anything, run a bubble screen and hope for a forced missed tackle on the, on the outside with one of your receivers, whoever it may be. But to do that, to me, it was pathetic and it was a shot in the foot of the game. And the fans who went out there to pay their money to watch this game, because nobody wants to go out there and see a team completely give up on a third down situation. And it's been a month straight now where the Giants have consistently ran the ball and given up on third downs, accepting their fate of a punt. And I can understand there's injuries here, but you know what? This is not the first team to have to dip into the backup quarterback realm. They've, this has been happening year after year after year with every team around the NFL. And those teams, I haven't seen a team give up like this on third downs ever for a month straight, a month straight of football like this. This is a disgrace, in my opinion. I stand by it. And I'm not giving up on Joe Judge. We'll see what happens there. But let's talk about that now, Nick. Uh, I guess I could first ask you about, because we didn't touch on it, what were your thoughts on the Galladay situation? Were you were you a little displeased with his decision to kind of what felt a little bit like a business decision to not outstretch for that ball? It didn't seem like he gave his full effort in terms of outstretching for the ball. It was a catchable ball by Jake Fromm. It seemed like Galladay did a solid job winning inside on against off coverage. There was a little bit of contact and then the ball was there and just didn't seem like he really wanted to lay out for it, which is definitely frustrating from a guy getting paid north of $70 million. And in terms of the Joe Judge situation with the, with the rushing the football with Jake Fromm, two quarterback sneaks on second and 11 and third and nine, Look, dude, like I know this isn't popular, but Joe Judge is thinking there's no way we're going to be able to pick up the 10 yards and we're putting our quarterback at risk of getting strip sacked and it's going to be an easy touchdown here. We need to make room to punt the football. This is a 3-0 game. At that point, it was still a very winnable football game right before halftime. And I don't love it, but it's hard to, to say that 
the Giants could necessarily do anything offensively at that point. They weren't doing anything offensively the entire game. And as we saw a little bit later in the game, they're very turnover prone. As we've seen for the last, what, two months, they're incredibly turnover prone, especially when they're trying to do a little bit too much. So that's where Joe Judge's head's at. I'm not saying I necessarily agree with it, but I kind of think it's circumstantial to the entire situation surrounding the New York Giants offense right now, just how pathetic the offense's inability to move the football is right now. It's really just no faith, no confidence, and I don't understand how you can have faith and confidence in the current product that's out there. Okay, that's fair. That's your take. I, I, We probably see different on this one. I just feel like there are so many plays in the playbook that should be practiced, by the way. That can be low risk with an actual reward. Like that play has no reward. It's a guaranteed miss. You're guaranteeing yourself a punt. And most of their runs on third downs have been guarantees for the most part because they're not a good running team. They picked up one, I believe, earlier in the season when Barkley made a really nice spin move on a third and six to create that extra yardage. But they've missed all the others. So they're almost a guarantee to punt. And I just don't know that you can't throw a screen out on the perimeter or you can't have some kind of bunch with rub routes that create quick separation. I know those will probably be failures too. I get it. But at least those have a chance of a missed tackle or some kind of mistake the defense can make. This one has no chance. Or, you know, throw back shoulder. I know it's not practice. I know Jake Fromm doesn't have good arm talent. But you know what? If worse case to worse, the ball, ball probably goes outside the shoulder and out of bounds. It's just, to me, it's disgraceful to run a sneak. It's just disgraceful. I'll stand by it. I know a lot of people agree with me. Michael Strahan said that after that play, he said this on the Fox broadcast at halftime, Strahan said, after that play, multiple friends of his. He said, I have a lot of friends who texted me after the Giants ran that uh, QB sneak in that victory formation. He said, these calls make a laughable season even more laughable. That's Michael Strahan. That ain't me. You know, that ain't the fans. It ain't just the fans at this point. It's the Hall of Fame players that have put their bodies on the line for this franchise and have done a lot of good things with this franchise. They found that laughable. They found it disgraceful. He's getting texts from former players and friends like, that's not good. Like to me, I'll stand by it. I was disgusted with the decision and, and I probably won't change my mind on that. I wanted to talk to you about Tay Crowder though, Nick, because I said it in, during the game. Well, let me interject for a second. I, I'm sure. not saying that it's a great decision, but to me, it speaks to the level of just lack of confidence that this coaching staff has in the offense. And it's the same shit we've been seeing for how long now, since, like I said, Daniel Jones has been injured. There's just no confidence whatsoever, and they would rather punt the football in that situation to possibly rely on their defense than put their offense in a position to turn the football over. That's the level of belief this coaching staff, from Joe Judge to Freddie Kitchens all the way down, it's the level of belief they have in this, in this offense's ability to protect and this quarterback's ability to complete a simple pass. I mean, I would have liked for them to just possibly run the football there, but I guess their lack of confidence in their offense's ability to even protect gaps and get any sort of push up front would result in, you know, ball being tackled and then possibly getting it at the two yard line and then resulting in a block punt. And now the game is 10, nothing instead of three, nothing. It's just, it's a disgusting situation. There's, there's no way around it, but Again, it goes back to the fact that this coaching staff has no belief, absolutely no belief in this offense's ability to do anything. Yeah, and I think you made a great point there too, Nick, by saying, you know, there have been a lot of situations where they've tried to throw the ball and they've either turned it over, had a pass batted right at the line of scrimmage, a fumble where a quarterback just like loses the ball out of his hand. I mean, there are so many examples that lead to your point, but I don't know. I just don't feel like this is a professional team. Like this is, I, I'm sorry. I should take that back because it was worded weirdly. 
this is a professional team. You have four weeks now that they've had this situation of the backup quarterbacks and kitchens trying to put his stamp on an offense. There just has to be things you practice that are easy solutions with any quarterback out there in my mind. And I'm not saying solutions for 100, you know, 70 yard gains, 150 plus passing, whatever it may be. But they're just they have no confidence to even complete a play. That to me is not okay. It's not acceptable with any quarterback who's starting at any point in the NFL. I have seen plenty of teams go through what the Giants went through this year, going to their second and then third string quarterbacks. And I've just seen them be more competitive and less embarrassing and have more confidence in their ability to complete a forward pass in the year of 2022. Um, So it's just, to me, I stand by it, but I, I we don't think we need to even go into the Crowder thing. He had another really bad game, in my opinion. He's just out of place all the time in the run game. Doesn't I don't know what he's doing out there half the time. Uh, I think the Giants are. I think this is a bigger hole than Edge. I think I've come around to this being a bigger hole than Edge because with Blake Martinez's injury, no guarantee he'll be back 100. percent We're praying, we're hoping because there's no other solutions. They don't really have anything on the second level that can even be passable because I don't really find Crowder's play to be passable this season. I think he's been the worst inside backer in the NFL, but at least by PFF's metric, I don't subscribe to that, but that's what they say. I think from my eye test, he's been really bad. I don't know. Uh, I just know that, you know, I much rather have Roche and Ojolari and Ellerson Smith and maybe Carter at edge right now and nothing in the off season. Then go back into this thing with Martinez coming off the injury Crowder and Jalen Smith or whoever the hell you put in, you know, with what's on the roster now. There were reports before the last draft that Dave Gettleman wanted Jamin Davis, somebody we just saw make a fantastic play against Alex Bachman. So, I mean, that general manager, who will obviously no longer be the general manager, had it in his mind to upgrade the linebacker position. But I would agree with you. Tate Crowder's not it. Like, I think he deserves, and I've said this before, deserves to be on an NFL roster, but not somebody you really want to start, especially an extended amount of snaps. You know, we gave it the experiment, Mr. Irrelevant to a full-time starter. I think that's a good story, but he's just not it right now. And it's pretty evident every time you turn on the All-22. What's going on, everyone? Football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Giants tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as you go to find NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge. Aren't those terrible? Which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's a pretty good deal. If you just want to go check out the Giants, you know, pregame, hopefully they win a football game, then Please head on over to TickPick.com today to save $10 on your first order of Giants tickets. That's TickPick.com. Check it out, everyone. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Unfortunately, but that's just another hole we'll have to talk about this offseason, Nick. And the good news is me and you have been pretty good, I think. Not to toot our own horn, but at locating some of these, you know, day three linebackers that have turned out to be contributors around the NFL. Hope we find a couple in this draft and the Giants actually make the decision to go for one because they do have some extra picks, uh, you know, day day one, day two, and day three. So we'll see what happens there. Let's talk a little bit about the future, Nick, because a lot is starting to surface. I want to first talk about the coach situation. And I want to talk about the general manager situation because we've got, you know, sources, not of our own, but sources to get to. So I did actually hear a rumbling from one source that I didn't want to go with this week because in the past uh, I've had this source get things right and wrong. And I, the one time I tried to go with it, it was wrong. So I don't go with sources. That's not my game. But when I hear it from Jay Glazer and it's the same exact thing I heard from somebody else, that's when my ears perk up because Jay Glazer was the one who nailed the Odell Beckham Jr. trade before anyone had any clue and when anyone had no clue would ever happen. Jay Glazer's also nailed a lot of other things and he's pretty spot on. He's pretty locked in. And this was the same thing I heard earlier this week, but what Glazer says it's 50, 50 at best that Joe judge come back that comes back next season, Nick. And this is just weeks after Adam Schefter's report that Joe judge is definitely coming back. I think these last four games have really taken a toll on Mara and Joe judges tenure right now because they've been so uncompetitive and what Glazer said is he's 50-50 right now to come back, and what Joe Judge is trying to sell Mara and the franchise hard on is coming back with Kevin Abrams promoted to general manager. So that's the sell right now from Judge to Mara. He's fighting hard for it. I heard him in his presser say, I don't want to speculate on my future, but I'm going to get to work right now on the future. What do you make of Glazer's report, I would say? What, do you, what percentage do you think Joe Judge has of coming back? And would you want to bring Joe Judge back? I'll ask you all three of those things, Nick. So I think it is 50-50 right now. We thought Joe Judge was going to be safe. You know, the Giants defeated the Eagles, you know, weeks back. It was 13-7. Defensive win. Offense was gross. Daniel Jones got hurt early on but played through it. And then we found out that the injury was more significant, ended up never playing again. But since then, he lost 20-9 to the Dolphins, 37-21 to of the Chargers. And that score was a lot worse than that. It's just two garbage touchdowns at the end of the game. 21 to 6 to Dallas, 34 to 10 to Philadelphia, 29 to 3 to the Bears, and now 22 to 7 to Washington with the most unwatchable offense you'll ever see. So the the floor bottomed out. And we we said, like, look, Judge is going to be safe unless the floor bottoms out. And it's very, very embarrassing, like 2017-esque type of embarrassment. Well, we're there. So I can see tomorrow me waking up on you know Mountain West time over here in Arizona and being like, oh wow, they, you know. Joe Judge was fired. That will not shock me whatsoever. But I would also wouldn't be shocked if Joe Judge is retained. Now, for me, it's who are you going to replace Joe Judge with? He seems to have the locker room. You know, a lot of players have reports saying that players do, don't want, they think it would be a mistake if the Giants moved on from Coach Judge. For me right now, I am I could go either way. I could be talked into either thing. I think there are pros and cons to to each decision. 
right now you can just start clean or you can bring in another general manager. If the Giants were to go with Kevin Abrams, I guess it would make sense to keep Joe Judge, but I don't necessarily want that to happen because I do believe the Giants need to look outside the organization to fix this mess because over the last 10 years, it's been an inside organization filled with nepotism that has led to this just collapse of a once proud franchise. So I don't really necessarily want it to be Kevin Abrams, which kind of foils what Joe Judge is trying to pitch, which also makes me lean towards, you know, cleaning house. So I'm a little conflicted right now. I'm definitely not one way or the other. And I'm a little curious to see how you are. Yeah, Nick, um, I'll start by saying I totally subscribe to what Jay Glazer is reporting. I am. I believe he's locked in. His track record speaks for itself. And if he's reporting something, I'm listening at all times. And so I think it is 50-50, but I think that was before today's game. I think after today's game and the embarrassing you know, decision in my mind, I stand by it, to quarterback sneak, obviously to be uncompetitive against this Washington football team again, uncompetitive again for the sixth straight game. They've now been outscored 106 to 26 in their last four games. I think this makes it 60-40 and 60% gone, 40% retained as far as Joe Judge. And for me, essentially the only reason I would want to bring him back because no, I don't subscribe to whatever the players have said. I actually haven't seen some of these comments of them saying they want him back, but I believe that could be the case. I don't think they're going to say anything otherwise to the media. I think they're smarter than that. It's 2022. People are These players are tuned in. They're locked in. Social media, it's all been in their lives forever. They're smarter than that. They know their futures could be impacted by some of the things. You know, An owner might not like to see a player talking about a coach before uh, negatively before he's fired. So none of that means anything to me. The culture stuff means nothing to me. I am a believer. Not nothing. I shouldn't say nothing. <laughs> but I, I have struggles, Nick. You know this with culture. I believe culture is based on winning. And I even remember it from a couple of years ago when the Giants won games and the locker room looked great. Um, you know, there are some examples of a culture being built. You can maybe point to like the Lions, what you've seen from them fighting for the coach and the way they kind of rally around Dan Campbell. Um, maybe you can maybe point to the Giants last year, I guess, even though they beat some really bad teams to grind to six and 10. But culture to me is based on winning. So I, I just, and I, I don't see this unbelievable culture when you got Kenny Galladay out there not laying out for balls you know I just I don't know I don't see it really with my eyes so I just have to kind of trust it based on what they're telling me and I guess I would ask you this before I get into whether or not I want Joe Judge back I would ask you this Nick as far as the culture thing goes because I know you mean you have different takes on culture can you continue forward with a culture you put in place let's say you let's say we subscribe to the idea that Joe Judge has loud has laid the foundation for what the culture needs to be, right? Like, so the idea of that would be when he got here, it was post-McAdoo, the locker room had gotten so out of whack and the culture had gotten so bad, they needed to bring in guys like Logan Ryan and guys like Leonard Williams and all these guys they brought in to kind of right the ship and have people in the locker room understand, like, this is a business. You need to work your ass off every day. There's no jokes. There's no early vacations, all that, right? But if you did lay that foundation, Nick, can that will do you have to restart that foundation by if you decide to go a different direction at head coach or can that he new head coach pick up on that foundation because the players that you needed to help build that found, uh, foundation are still in place and already in, in place in your mind uh, how would you answer that I would say that those players are in place already if, as long as they buy into the coach and they believe in the coach then then the foundation is already set there and as far as uh, the reports it was from Pat Leonard article before the 
before this week. So that's where those reports uh, came from a player saying like that he's still back coach judge and they think it would be a mistake if he is let go. Okay. So if that's the case um, and it can be picked up by the next head coach, then I'd probably say I'm definitely leaning toward moving on from Joe judge. I think with Joe judge, he's been dealt a bad hand to some degree, but he hasn't played his cards, right? It's kind of like in poker. You're not always going to get dealt five pocket aces in a tournament. And then, you know, four high pocket pairs, you're not going to hit three sets in a tournament. You're not going to hit all these hands you need that usually win. But some of the players can make it as far as they possibly could have given the hand that they were dealt. I'm not so sure this was the best job Joe Judge could have done over the last two years with this bad hand, admittedly, that he's been dealt. And there's so much more still from a surface standpoint that I love that I dislike more than I like when it comes to Judge. I also hate the idea of a Judge Abrams pairing. I don't hate it, but I don't love it. And so if that means Abrams is coming back, if we have to retain, if Judge has retained, that means Abrams is a package deal. Don't like the sound of that. The one thing that would want me to keep, that would lean me toward wanting to keep him, Nick, would be that I think it's so hard these days to find a good, competent head coach. Like I, I used to be like, you know, on this last cycle, man, I was like, I'm sick of the coordinator hires. I want someone who's going to not coach either side of the ball and it's just going to be a John Harbaugh type. And we got that with Joe judge and it's not working. And so I don't even know what I would want for the next one. Like Brian Dable is a great play caller. Is he going to be a great head coach? I don't know. Could he just be another Shermer? We don't know. And it just feels like these last two, three coaching cycle years, these last three off seasons haven't really produced many coaches that are great coaches right now. Like I'm trying to think in my head of anyone who's come out in the last one or Kevin two. Stefanski. Stefanski. Yeah, that's a good call. And he was in the Giants class in the Joe Judge class. Um, but, and I do think he's a great coach, but I think part of why he's a great coach is because he runs a great offensive system, you know, like I don't know. Yeah. And I don't know how much of that, the rest of the stuff he does. So I don't know, man, I don't know where, I don't know where to really go at coach, but if I had to pick right now, Nick, and again, 50, 50, according to Jay Glazer before today's embarrassment, I would say that I'm in the direction of let's move on from Joe judge. Let's restart it with a new fresh GM outside the organization and his pick at who he believes should be the head coach to move forward with. Yeah. I think that's hard to argue with as well. I think that would also be a sound course of action. It's uh, it's really going to come down to obviously this, uh, what is going to happen with Joe judge? What should John Merritt do now? I I think if you look at what's transpired over the end of the season, it, it's yes. I think you were right when you said that Joe judge hasn't done the best job, despite the fact that he wasn't dealt the cards. Now, do they want to cut bait after two seasons? Has this season been embarrassing? Absolutely. How much of that can be laid at the feet of Dave Gettleman? I think quite a bit because the roster isn't there. How much of that could be laid at judge? I think he's the head coach. You have to lay a lot of blame on Joe judge as well, but do you want to fire this coach in just two seasons? I, I don't like the whole, like, Hey, it's only been two years. He has to come back for another year because the giants, you know, already fired two coaches in two seasons. And they don't want to do that again. I don't think that's necessarily a sound way to do it. I just think you have to have a plan and that plan has to start with whoever John Mayer and Steve Tisch choose to be their general manager. So if the general manager wants to move on from judge, then I think the Giants should move on to judge. I think it has to be a, a, a sound chain of command that is established here. And I think that has to be set with whoever this team assigns a general manager position to, but we're not going to know that by Monday, which brings in a whole nother 
question, I guess you could say, or a whole nother just situation. Should the Giants fire him on Black Monday, which is tomorrow? I mean, there's going to be a lot of coaches let go. And I'm not 100% certain if they should or if they should wait and see. I, I, I don't like being uncertain about these things, but I would be lying if I said, yeah, this is this is the plan I think that should the Giants should go with right now. Because I'm not really 100% certain, and I can definitely be talked into either either path. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. It's hard. You know, I haven't felt good. Like, I had a good grasp on this situation, what I wanted from it in a long time. I I, I, I feel like it's easy for us, Nick, to evaluate the players, the whether that be the draft, which we will do a ton of work on, or the players we see on film after week after week. But as far as coaches and GMs go, man, I don't know. I feel like we're almost kind of just like here for the ride and hopefully it goes well. And hopefully they can figure this thing out because, you know, that's where we're at. Joe judge said today after the game, he learned a lot last year about what he needs to do as a head coach in his first year, obviously coming from a special teams background, not much experience. He said this year, I learned a lot about what not to do, whatever that means. He didn't expand on it, but it it doesn't sound great. Lorenzo Carter actually did spend some time today after the game, defending Joe judge. Um, despite not being under contract for next year, he said he would love to return to the Giants. Um, and he said that one of the and, and he's one of those pending free agents Joe Judge referenced about wanting to return. So I think they have a good relationship, obviously. Um, that's just somebody who, you know, the Giants might look into bringing back, especially if Joe Judge is back. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, there was another report, though, to dive into. Well, two others. The first one I want to get your take on came over the weekend as well, Nick. And that was the report that Steve Tisch, Giants co-owner, who's been viewed, I guess, by us, because we don't really have too much information on this, but been viewed by us as someone who's taken a background seat throughout all this for a long time, reportedly wants the Giants franchise to take a step back, bring in outside sources, and rethink how they do everything. Uh, now, that's led to some fans being like, oh, great, Steve Tisch finally wants to step in. It's years too late, which I find a bit hypocritical, Nick, because everyone is talking about how they don't like how much Mara meddles with this business or then saying they want Tisch to now meddle more with it. So I don't know if I totally get that, but I guess it just makes sense because, you know, everybody's kind of on board with taking a step back, having outside sources come in to evaluate this franchise and where they're headed at. What do you make of Tisch and his potential uh, extended involvement maybe in the Giants franchise moving forward. Oh, you mean Steve Tisch, the the famous background cameo in Seinfeld? I was watching Seinfeld recently, actually, just to what? Look on a side note. And I was like, dude, that guy in the background looks a lot like Steve Tisch. They were sitting in the restaurant. I think it was Jerry and George at their usual table, or maybe it was Jerry and Elaine. And I was like, that guy looks a lot like Steve Tisch. And Steve Tisch, for those who don't know, he's very heavily involved in Hollywood. He's a producer and all of that. That's kind of his main gig. And yeah, I Googled it and that was Steve Fish <laughs> in the background. So you remember the episode? Uh, it was one I literally just watched, but I actually don't remember the episode. I'm sure somebody who, um, who, uh, follows the show will we'll point it out, but it was definitely Steve Tish and he looks just like him. But as far as what he wants to do with the New York giants, um, dude, I feel like every year for the last several seasons, someone has made a comment. Oh, Steve Tish is not happy with the way the giants are going. I'm not going to read too much into it. To be honest, when when you think of the the owner of the New York Giants, you, John Mayer is the first guy you, that always comes to mind. The Tishes they bought in as well. He's the co-owner of the team, and he wants to you know get involved with the direction of, of the squad. But like I don't know to what extent that is going to be. So I don't really take too much from from Steve Tish's comments. If that makes sense, I think that's fair. I think I'm in the same boat with you on that. So let's get to the last thing we have uh, uh, Jordan Ronan reporting on. 
according to Ronan, who I do think, generally speaking, among the beats, I th- I've always kind of maintained that since Mike Garofolo left the Giants beat to go work for NFL Network, it's never been the same. And I think part of the problem is it's the New York media. These players are smarter. It's 2022. And they're coached up well not to kind of leak things. Uh, and same goes within the organization, though, obviously, who knows from that standpoint. But I do think he's pretty tapped in, Ronan, from a sources standpoint. Uh, obviously, you know, won't have a discussion about his ex and no knowledge. Just, just kidding, though. But from a sources standpoint, he reports that the GM candidates for the Giants will be Kevin Abrams, Joe Schoen from Buffalo, Dave Zeichler, Monty Ossenfort, Ryan Poles, and Lewis Riddick. Those are the early candidates, those six. Any of those names stand out to you or anything you're thinking about regards to the, uh, with regards to those GM candidates? Hey, you're looking at a couple candidates that come from some successful organizations. You have someone from Buffalo. Monty Ossenfort is from Tennessee. I believe he's the director of player personnel over there. Tennessee has done a solid job in that department. Lewis Riddick, obviously, on television, he has so much acumen in terms of football. He was, I guess you could say, the second finalist for the general manager job back in 2018 when the Giants selected Dave Gettleman. Say that with a big usage of air quotes. (laughs) (laughs) The fraudulent, most fraudulent GM search in NFL history. Yes, yes. And uh, so... I don't really have much in terms of what these people can do. I like the fact that they're looking at successful organizations, but I wouldn't expect them to go and look at the Houston Texans and, and Jacksonville right. or the New York Jets or something like that. So it makes sense that they're going to successful organizations and looking at, at uh, players from there. And I know like Will McClay has been floated out there. He's from Dallas. I doubt Jerry Jones is going to allow Will McClay to leave. He's just going to back up you know, the truck and just drop money at that guy's feet. Ed Dodds from Indianapolis is another <laughs> that has been floated out there. But I trust Jordan Ronan's reporting as well he also had an article about the team captains having joe judges back for what that's worth it wasn't just pat leonard okay that's good to hear as far as the judge situation goes but again i don't know how much, if i'd expect anything different um you know they understand they understand that everything they said can and will be used against them for their future on <laughs> exactly this roster. that's um, another thing that's another thing to consider as well with, with, yeah. with all those reports for sure but as far as the gms go big blue banter will not be the podcast and we'll, we'll t- I'll take pride in this and I think Nick will as well because I think it means that we <laughs> are telling it to you like it is straightforward black and white we're not going to be the podcast that tells you this is an amazing GM hire this is a horrible GM hire I really don't know how a lot of these you know content creators not from the Giants from anyone who tries to do this can tell you those things about general manager candidates because they don't know truly what kind of impact they had on that franchise like Monty awesome for example like it sounds like a great candidate, right? I'd seem on paper like he'd be a good fit for the Giants and a good hire. Tennessee's roster is good, but who knows how much of an impact he had on that? Like, was he making those decisions? Like, were some of these his evaluations? I don't know. Same thing goes with Joshon. Like, I don't know what kind of impact these guys had, and Nick doesn't either, and we're going to be open and honest and upfront about that. We will have our strong opinions on this draft class and draft process. We will have our strong opinions on the All-22 film of the Giants we watch, for sure. And we can have our opinions on coaches, because some of those guys we've seen in action like if you're going to hire a former head coach you've seen his in-game management how he handles a roster things of that nature but as far as the gms go i'm just hoping they get this right and i like that they're looking outside the organization with some of these guys that jordan brought up i'm out on abrams for the most part um and i'm out on lewis riddick who uh you know did say in the past he supported the saquon barkley pick for me that's an auto out just a complete auto out and he also would have drafted Dwayne Haskins, another auto out from, even though, you know, I actually, 
didn't love Haskins, but kind of liked his arm talent and was just totally wrong about him. I guess it shouldn't be an auto out, but it's like, I don't know how you, how you could have known he would have been this big of a bust, but honestly, it doesn't feel great to me when I hear those two things, specifically the Barkley decision from Lewis Riddick. And in terms of some of those general ma- or those possible general managers, they come from other organizations. And you touched on this, Dan. We don't know the extent of the decision making that these specific people had in what actually happened and what actually transpired within those organizations. And who's to say that that similar decision making will be carried over to a different situation when they're the head guy? They might have a totally different vision. So I just think it's a little bit difficult to actually gauge what these people are going to do in the position as the Giants general manager. Yeah, that's completely fair. Um, So I'm with you on that. All right. Anything else from the game that stood out to you want to get to before I want to do one little small segment that originally, Nick, I teased as a potential full episode, but I'm going to take just one segment on one episode on the last game review of the year to do, to get out of my system. Hopefully others will enjoy it. Catharsis, this catharsis, but uh, I don't even know if that's the right word, and I'm sure I'll just get destroyed for that. My, my I, I am the worst with that type of stuff, especially for somebody who's an editor by job and um, by career. But you know what, Nick? Anything else on this game that you want to get to before we do that last segment? No, this game was disgusting. It's been disgusting ever since the Philadelphia game. It's been a disgrace, and it's it's hard to watch. Yeah, I mean, look, for nearly a month straight now, the Giants gave up on converting third and longs. It's a crazy thing. I've never really seen it happen uh, in football until this year. It's it's something you wouldn't expect, but it's where we're at. Um, one final thing I do want to add before this last thing is Mike Munchak is now a free agent. Offensive line coach, former offensive line coach of the Denver Broncos. Free agent, I believe, now that Vic Fangio has been removed, relieved of his duties. Now, Munchak did originally decide in part to go to Denver for family reasons. I believe he had like a daughter and a daughter, uh, maybe it was like a daughter or someone in his family living out there. But Mike Munchak is one of the two or three elite offensive line coaches who I think can do an unreal job without much to work with. Not to say he's done that in Denver because Denver does uh, does have Dalton Reisner, who the Giants, by the way, could have drafted in 2019. He was on the board when they picked with all three of their first-round picks. I'm not saying he deserves to be a first-round pick, but he was on the board. So was Jonah Williams, by the way. A pretty easy evaluation. Not someone who you thought would be an elite player, but someone you can count on on your offensive line as a starter. And he's been very good this year in Cincinnati. So is Dalton Reisner in Denver. He also oversaw the Garrett Bowles transformation in Denver. This is Mike Munchak, offensive line coach. Garrett Bowles was struggling. Big time, looked like a potential bust as a first-round pick tackle. Munchak gets there, signs a huge extension, he's playing great football. That entire line looks good to me when I watch the Denver Broncos. He does a great job. He also did an incredible job with the Pittsburgh Steelers offensive line for a decade. When he left, that line completely collapsed and hasn't been the same since. If there's any possible way he'll come to New York, I can only hope the Giants, John Mara, whoever the new GM is, whoever the new coach is, I don't care if it's Judge, I don't care throws the damn bag at Mike Munchak because they don't count against the cap hiring uh, coordinators. Giants have already proven they're willing to spend. They signed Graham to a, you know, unreported, but believed to be massive extension this offseason, Patrick Graham. So you know what? Bring Munchak in, throw the bag, get in one of these elite offensive line coaches, have him turn nothing into something. They need desperation on this line. Every, they need to be throwing every possible resource into fixing this line because it's going to take time and to get it competent, it's not an easy solution. Like, even if you draft two offensive linemen, 
first picks, first two picks, the Bears pick and the Giants pick, there's no lock. The line's going to be better. So where are you at with that, Nick? And uh, would you would you be okay moving on this quick from Rob Sale? Well, I think Rob Sale's going to Florida, to be honest with you. I think he's probably going to take his talents down there and join Napier. But even if that weren't the case, if someone like a Munchek or a Callahan were available, I would fully support that. I think positional coaches is one of the least valued thing among a fan base, but it's one of the more important aspects to actually having a successful unit. And the Giants offensive line, since Hal Hunter, it was a disaster. It's been a disaster under Mark Colombo. It was, you know, then there was Dave DiGuglielmo and now Rob Sale. It definitely didn't necessarily take an upgrade whatsoever. If anything, it was a downgrade. I think that's more personnel based than Rob Sale's ability to coach. But if you can get one of those top tier guys, and yes, I think the Giants have to invest and just make them the highest paid offensive line coach in the league. If you have to bring some stability to this damn offensive line, especially if you're going to invest multiple picks into younger players who need that development. So please go out there and get somebody like that. Yeah. I'm with you on that, Nick. All right. We'll wrap it up with this. Uh, Actually, let's wrap it up. Well, let's add in one more thing. A little bit of good news for the giants today. The Vikings were down, I think, at one point, 14 nothing. Yes. Against the Bears. Thank God they came back and won that. I think that was the difference between three or four picks for the Giants. Uh, so that was excellent to see. Also, if the Jets can find a way to win in this afternoon slate, I think it's going on now as we speak. I'm going to try to get an updated score on that now. If it's the seven Jets. Nothing Buffalo. Seven nothing Buffalo? Yeah. Okay. Not a great start. But if the Jets can somehow win this game against Buffalo. The Giants moved to the fourth overall pick. That's pretty cool, especially when you consider the fact that the Jets are probably going to likely be in the market for maybe another offensive tackle because Morgan Moses they brought in, but that's probably not a that's a stopgap more in the long term, and maybe an edge because they don't they had Carl Lawson who got injured and they don't really have anything else at edge. So when you consider those two things, it would be big if the Giants can lock box their way into a Jets win here. Let's hope for that as we move forward. But I want to wrap this show up today by doing something I tease as maybe a full show, but I don't think we need to do it, A, even though people would enjoy it, except for the haters. But I want to air some grievances on Dave Gettleman, who's likely managed his final game as the Giants. He finishes with a 19-46 and record, one of the most unfathomably bad records imaginable for someone who's had the second, the fourth, and the sixth overall pick in three classes and then the 11th in another. He's had extra first round picks from the Beckham trade. He's traded for more first round picks. He has been allotted three free agent spending sprees, the point where the Giants have massive amounts of big contracts littered all throughout their roster without any results to speak of. He's allowed to retire. Most likely he won't be fired. But I want to air some final grievances, Nick. I'm going to air a couple. I'm curious first, do you want to get in on the airing of the grievances here? A little festivist, a little late festivist celebration for all you Seinfeld fans. Or do you want to just let me rail off? Because I would love to get you in, but I know it's not usually your thing. Hey, go ahead, uh, Rail. I'll add in other things that he may have Okay. He he may have done wrong. Because Well, I'd been- love to see that you're getting into the spirit, Nick, because I know it's not typically your thing. You're very... You're a very straightforward X's and O's kind of guy, uh, black and white. And I know you don't like to, har- to harp on these guys. I get it. And I'm not saying you won't criticize when criticize- criticism is due. And I know you obviously don't believe in Dave Kettleman. I'm not saying any of that stuff, but I know you typically like to let me do this. So I will be happy to hear you chime in with anything you want to add. So let me start with grievance number one, Nick. Okay. Grievance number one. 
in the year of 2018, Dave Gettleman showed flashes, flashes of Mike Ditka trading an entire draft class for running back Ricky Williams. In 2018, decades later of when running the football worked in the NFL, decades later of when teams made the decision to trade draft picks, to use draft classes, to use everything for a running back. On a running back, he famously said, I did not pick up the phone. I was so convinced with this evaluation. I didn't even listen to trade offers because he had a running back he was smitten with in the year of 2018. And he did it. He drafted that running back at two overall, spitting in the face of everyone and everything and all of the logic that suggested it was a bad move, spitting in everyone's face. He did it. He did it anyway and set the tone for what would be a pathetic four years. That's grievance number one. The decision to dive back into dinosaur-level thinking from a general manager standpoint that you can take a running back at two overall and have him not even be the best running back in that class because that's Nick Chubb, okay? Nick Chubb is a much better runner than Saquon Barkley. He's a much better pass protector. Maybe a little worse, not much as a receiver, and he's certainly... Not somebody you take that is Saquon Barkley at number two overall in the year of 2018 when running backs have proven to be a awful investment. That's my first grievance, Nick. Any thoughts on that one? I 100% agree with <laughs> you. And I was saying this at the time, too. I was so pissed off. And I, I, I said this on the podcast before, but I'm going to reiterate. All my friends were like, Nick, dude, Saquon Barkley's great, dude. Look, look at all, all of his tape. He's, uh, I'm like, dude, you just don't invest that high of draft capital in a player that plays running back. It's that simple, especially after the first overall pick ended up being Baker Mayfield, not Sam Darnold. And supposedly a lot of people were smitten with Sam Darnold. There could have been a lot of teams that were willing to trade up and give the Giants future capital, capital that they needed. And Dave Gettleman didn't even entertain that. And that was the pure just negligence on his part. And just such a dereliction of duty to not even entertain it. You could have probably traded back a couple spots and still got Saquon Barkley. Right. But you know, but that, he couldn't afford to risk not getting Saquon Barkley. That was his mindset. I can't listen to calls because I can't afford to risk this. It's insane to me. It's it's terrible. Let's hear grievance number two, Dan. Grievance number two, ultimately more impactful and having more of a long-lasting effect on their wins and losses than grievance number one. But grievance number one is still grievance number one because it's so unfathomable to me that you could ever think that it's okay to do what he did with Barkley pick. But grievance number two is committing to fixing the offensive line, saying it's your objective number one, to fix the offensive line. Then, after doing so, taking a step forward, or trying to at least, which I'll never kill him for. If you tried to do it more, I would have never killed him for. But after trying to do it in 2018 in his first offseason with Hernandez, using the 34th overall pick, obviously horrific evaluation by him, a terrible job by someone who's supposed to be good at evaluating offensive linemen, missed Braden Smith, missed Wyatt Teller, missed tons of guys in that class, but still tried. Tried to do it with the Soldier contract, another horrific evaluation, but tried. Tried to do it with the Mame contract, another horrific evaluation, but tried. But then rolling into 2019 draft with three first-round picks and deciding, no, 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 no. I need to convince myself of a franchise quarterback in Daniel Jones, a second-round prospect by almost everyone's evaluation with adequate but not great arm talent and not good processing skills. I need to take him at six overall. Jonah Williams sitting on the board. I need to take a quarterback here. I don't have an offensive line. I committed to fixing the offensive line. I need to take a quarterback here. 
took a quarterback. 17 overall rolls by. I need to take an interior defensive lineman here. 30th overall rolls by. I need to take a cornerback here that I love, who has off-field problems, was sleeping in meetings, had problems with the Georgia coaches. I need to take him. Three first-round picks, not a single one used on Jonah Williams, not a single one used on Dalton Reisner, not a single one used on, there's one more, uh, there's a couple more tackles and, er, and converted converted guard. I believe Cody Ford was in that class. Yes, he, he was, was drafted in an early second Eldon round. Jenkins, too. Eldon Jenkins, a few picks after DeAndre Baker. Imagine, just imagine, even it, it would have been considered a reach at the time. I don't care because he won 11th overall, and he's never going to be like the elite of the elite offense tackles. But imagine you use six overall we wanted Josh Allen, but imagine you use that right now on Jonah Williams, who's been having a really good year after the injury for the Bengals. And imagine you use 30th overall on either of the guys you mentioned. I mean, Elgin Jenkins would be the, the, the slam dunk, but even if you used it on Ford or Dalton Reisner, especially Reisner, and then you rolled back with Eli in 2019. I know Eli was done, whatever. They probably put themselves in position for Herbert, but all that aside, at least right now, the line would have Andrew Thomas, Dalton Reisner, and Jonah Williams, and we'd feel much better about where they're at than having Dexter Lawrence, Daniel Jones, and DeAndre Baker. And then you still have another pick because they don't, you only needed two guys to get Reisner and Jonah Williams. So you get one of those three, whoever it may be. Maybe it's Dexter Lawrence. I don't like whatever. That's okay, I guess. But you committed to fixing the offensive line, and you stared the 2019 draft in the face, and you used three picks on a quarterback, an interior defensive lineman who doesn't rush the passer, and a cornerback who's not on the roster anymore. Your commitment was to fixing the line, and you didn't do it. And then you walked your ass into the 2020 draft, didn't take a single offensive lineman, and told the fans to their faces, you guys obviously have a much lower expectation of our current offensive line and the talent we brought in than we do. And so that will be grievance number two for me, committing to fixing the offensive line in your first presser, telling you, telling the fans you're going to do it, and completely skipping out on the 2019 and 2020 class. And I know he drafted Lemieux in 2019. Oh, God, let's throw a party for a fifth-round pick who doesn't have lateral the lateral movement needed to be a pass protector at any point in his career. So, no, that's my second grievance. Yeah, that was a terrible one heading into this season. We were... We were very vocal about it, too, on the podcast. We were saying, dude, they better be right about this offensive line. If they suffer one injury, they're screwed. They suffered the injuries. They weren't right about the offensive line. And we've seen one of the worst offensive lines that I've personally ever seen in the NFL. And it's product of Dave Gettleman and just him not doing his job and him having a lot of faith in coaching, him having a lot of faith in prior draft picks. Shane Lemieux, unfortunately, he got hurt. Nick Gates also got hurt. Matt Parrott was not the player that – they expected him to be. Yes, he added all that weight during the offseason. Good weight, you know, big muscle, muscular type of guy. He basically was content with having Nate Solder start over him. What kind of offensive lineman mentality is that? It was a, a terrible mistake, one of many, from Dave Gettleman. And I appreciate that uh, omission by me. They did also use a 99th overall pick or whatever, 99 or 97 on Matt Parrott. So, but again, these aren't, these aren't, I mean, you're staring the face of the Jonah Williams, Dalton Reisners and Elton Jenkins are in a draft class and you have three first round picks. You don't consider any of them. I mean, that's not committing to be building an offensive line. You said you were going to, but you didn't actually do it. And so that's grievance number two. There's plenty of other ones. Those are just the big ones I needed to get out. Nick, I feel so much better having said though, to the most egregious things you can do as a general manager, your record falls to a disgusting and despicable record. He's the worst franchise general manager ever he set the team back he's disgusted i'm disgusted by dave gettleman i think he's an okay i don't know him as a person i don't care 
whatever. He could be a good person. But I'm disgusted with this idea that he needed to retire and be let out the right way for doing what he did to this franchise. Because quite frankly, he's made it really difficult for the fans and really difficult for everyone involved. Um, so, yeah, that's just the, <laughs> there it is. I aired my grievances. I'm done. He'll he'll be gone, thankfully. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not shocked that they allowed him to retire, to be honest, though. I mean, Dave Gettleman has been with the New York Giants for a very long time. I think since the 90s, at least. He was a scout with the Giants back in, like, the mid-90s or something like that. And then there was the, what, the director of pro personnel, I think, for a while, because that's where Dan Hatman of the Scouting Academy worked with Dave Gettleman. I know Dan Hatman worked directly for him before he ended up becoming – a uh, some something else in the scouting department. I just pulled it up. A senior pro personnel analyst before heading over to Carolina. So Dave Gettleman had his hands in championship roster. So I'm not shocked that they allowed him to finish the season. Yeah, that's fair. I'm not shocked either. And I and I I would I would agree with that. I you know taking it back a notch. Obviously, I could care less if he is allowed to retire like that or or you know, fired. I do think that part of why there's been so much negative, I guess, fanfare around Joe judge is because the giants didn't, you know, throw their fans, even a bone. They didn't give him any flesh like <laughs> to chew at by firing Gettleman in season. Um, but it is what it is. And I, and I'm happy I had a chance to air these grievances. I know you feel similarly on these, these, and hopefully the next GM will commit to fixing the line and actually do it and actually do a better job of doing it. So, We'll end it on that note. Thank you all to tuning in to another season of Big Blue Banter. We, we're, we, we're debating right now what we're going to do this week. I think we're leaning toward no film review of this game. I don't think people want to hear it. We'll do a mailbag instead or something of that nature. So there's obviously going to be some uh, impromptu podcasts as well coming up in the next days and weeks as decisions happen. Like me and Nick will talk about news. So if Gettleman gets or, you know, if they move on from Gettleman, there starts to be some GM rumblings. We'll talk about that. If they move on from Judge. We'll obviously talk about that and potential head coach candidates. And then the coordinator's spot, because we do kind of feel and believe like there's a good chance the Giants will do something different at offensive coordinator next offseason. I guess let's we'll, we'll wait to talk about that, Nick. I do want to actually discuss this with you after we stop recording off pod where you're at from that standpoint, the OC standpoint. But yeah, so stick with us. A lot coming down and. We will get to, and we will get to all of that this week. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.